It's 3 a.m. No one wants to come in and see your acute surgical patient in the emergency room. Your ED is in crisis, and as AJN put it in 1992, it's a window with a view. You're listening to ReachMD160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Scott Rudkin, Associate Clinical Professor of Emergency Medicine at University of California, Irvine School of Medicine. Dr. Rudkin has a study recently published in American Journal of Emergency Medicine on the worsening of ED on-call coverage in California. He's been an invited speaker at many medical conferences on emergency room overcrowding and the economic and medical impact that affects all of us in practice. We're discussing the shortage of on-call coverage for the emergency room and the crisis that represents. Welcome, Dr. Rudkin. Thanks for having me here. Why is there an emergency room on-call shortage in California at all? Well, I think it's a fundamental issue of economics. You've got a busy practice yourself. I'm talking about an on-call specialist. They have a busy practice seeing their patients, and as part of their med staff bylaws, they've agreed to take ED call. The only problem is EMTALA, it's an unfunded mandate that says that in the ED, we must care for all patients who hit our door regardless of their ability to pay. They've got a busy practice. They are on call. They've got a whole slate of patients for the next day. 12 midnight, a new patient comes in, unfunded, uninsured, much more likely to sue them, actually. All these factors make it very difficult for them to come in. They come in, they don't get paid. They actually may pay to actually care for the patient because if you factor in their malpractice premium, it actually costs them to care for the patient. And then they have to go, hopefully catch a few hours of sleep, and then see a whole slew of patients the next day. It really is an issue of economics where these docs, I think, are trying to do a good job. They do it out of their ethics. But at some point, I don't fault them. They don't want to come in. But it's not new. I mean, maybe the amount of patients that sue has gone up in the last 10 or 15 years. But the situation where you're tired and you're on call and you come in, that isn't a new situation, correct? Correct. I don't think it is. But what I think has happened is we could absorb small peaks and valleys, but now with a increase in patients of roughly 90 million to 110 million, we've seen a big increase in patients. The number of uninsured has gone up. Really, it's an issue where I think that they could kind of make ends meet as reimbursements have gone down in healthcare. Every new patient counts. I think it's a matter of both local economics and it's also paying for these patients before the doctor out of their goodwill could take care of these patients. But now it becomes a simple matter of economics. They want to put food on the table for their family. Is it also in any way part of a lifestyle change on the part of physicians that maybe the idea of being up 24 on call all the time, maybe one or two generations ago, was expected if you're a doctor, and now it's, I want to sleep at night, I have to be in the OR at 7, I deserve a better lifestyle? I think there is probably some truth to that statement, but most of the docs that I know that are on call, they still have the same work ethic. I mean, we joke about this a lot that now with the resident work hours cuts, yeah, now we have an 80-hour work week. The thing is that most of the docs that are on call right now, we all train before work hours came into place. These guys are not afraid to be up all night and go work. Is it safe for the patient? I don't know. But I don't think it's a work hours or a work ethic issue right now. It may become an issue as the next generation of docs comes online. But right now, I would say no. What's some of the possible solutions that you've explored at your facility or in California? Well, California and also Oregon, too, a lot of them they've tried to do is stipends to see, hey, we'll pay you a stipend to be on call. These can range anywhere from nothing all the way up to around $3,000 for some fields like neurosurgery. It worked for the short term, but what they found is that actually up in Oregon, they did a study, it was 05 and 06, where they looked at this to see if the issue had gotten worse. They found was that the number of stipends had gone up, but yet the call crisis had gotten worse. 
they found that at least one specialty for half the hospitals they couldn't get, and they're forced to actually transfer out at least half their patients who had requests for specialty needs. All these factors combined make it much more difficult to care for the patient. Stipends work for the short term. You can try to offer deals where in Orange County, California, we actually have a fund. It's a state fund. We use tobacco tax settlement funds to help pay for those folks that have no insurance. There are ways you can get them from the state and federal level, but unless you can tackle this issue more globally, it's not going to end. So you're a private insured patient. You go to your local community hospital where it's good reputation. You lacerated a tendon perhaps in your forearm. There's no hand surgeon on call. And with the changes in MTALA, as I understand it, they don't have to have a hand surgeon on call. So you're transferred out, correct? That is correct. And what's the sad thing is, and don't forget that when you're transferring a patient, you cannot mention insurance status. The part of MTALA states that the first part is that you must care for all patients that come to you and stabilize their condition. If you deem them to be unstable, which means you don't have capacity to care for that patient, you must transfer them out. As you transfer them out, you also cannot ask about insurance info. So what happens is that if you have gold card insurance and you're at a hospital that is underfunded, the recipient or the person that's on call is going to just assume you have another unfunded patient to send their way, and they're going to give you some answer of, well, I don't have capacity. I'm in the OR. I can't care for this patient. It becomes very difficult to care for these folks. I mean, I've had cases where trying to have a hand guy come in can take 12 hours plus. And again, I work at a level one trauma center. So many of our listeners may be primary care docs, family medicine specialists. Why, if they're listening to this, why should this be a concern to them also? Why isn't it just the, the ER's problem? This is a systems issue. Again, thinking of yourself personally, when you come into the hospital, obviously you want to get care. If you have your MI or stroke, if the ED can't care for you, it's going to affect you personally. But really, if you're thinking about the hospital where you practice at or work at, it is a systems issue. Half the admits come through the ED. If hospitals really want to tackle this problem, they need to really realize it's a systems issue. As you can move your patients in faster, get them upstairs faster, it's better care for all, and really this is a systems issue. So tell us about your study. How has this been measured? What we did was both in 2000 and 2006, we looked at all the California ACE at the American College of Emergency Physician docs in California. It was a survey study. We got a 70% response rate from all the EDs. What we found is that in California from 2000 to 06, we've seen an increase in the number of hospital report difficulty in getting on-call coverage, hospital report using more stipends. They're trying to basically band-aid a problem that's really more global and more large than just a state-level issue. Until we can fix the underlying issue of EMTALA and the unfunded mandate at the federal level, this issue is going to keep on happening. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Scott Rudkin, and we're discussing the emergency room on-call crisis and how it affects all of us. You mentioned this a little bit before, but what is the other side of the coin? The story of the ENT, perhaps, who has a small but thriving practice. He gets referrals in the daytime from the surgeons and the PCPs, and he doesn't want to take emergency room call. Should he be forced to? That one's difficult. From a personal standpoint, I think the answer is actually no. You've got a doc who really just wants to make this practice happen. We're asking this physician to come in on their own time, provide essentially free care, and it may actually cost them when you think about the malpractice premiums. They are being asked to provide care without being compensated. I think until we can fix the fundamental issue of the funding problem where patients come in, they're unfunded, and we expect these physicians to break up the next day, 
really impact their lifestyle and also their ability to provide food for the family. This issue will continue. Is this stipend way of dealing with this problem? Is it working? I'm seeing more and more of those ads in the back of medical journals all the time. Stipends, we thought were going to be the big panacea for this issue. You know, hey, we offer the stipend, you'll take covered and stuff. But really, Oregon did the best research on this topic. They offered stipends. Stipends worked for the short term. The problem is stipends kept going up and up and up. And at the same time period, they found that actually it became more and more difficult to find coverage and the transfer rate actually went up. So although stipends sounded like a great idea, I don't think they work. What's happening with the hospital bylaws requiring staff physicians to take emergency room call? Are those regulations getting looser because of the Intala in 2003, or are they getting tighter because of the on-call crisis? Definitely much looser for two factors. One is Intala in 2003. They tried to clarify the rule that we all had hoped would make this easier to apply, but what they really did was they softened the regulations for consultants to come in. It was as simple as that. They just really weakened the law. More importantly, though, staff bylaws, out of good faith for a long time, if you wanted to be on a hospital staff, wanted to have OR privileges, you had to agree to take call and help out, and they all share the burden equally. Problem is that now surgery centers have opened up, and especially become harder to come by, they're really commanding what they want to do. And they say, listen, if you make me be on call, I can go over to this local surgery center that is not hospital-based and never be on call, so back off. Is there any legal consequences or any precedence for this if somebody refuses to come in and say it's an emergency room, some of the smaller ones, they'll actually have an on-call board in their emergency room and it's three in the morning and they're called and the person doesn't respond and they don't come in. Can there be legal consequences? There are legal consequences. Unfortunately, it's kind of a sledgehammer approach. There's no kind of way to kind of slowly talk to them, counsel them. If you are found guilty of an Intala violation, which is you refuse to come in and they deem that the case has merit, you can be fined yourself personally $50,000 and your malpractice premium coverage won't cover this, and the hospital itself can also be fined $50,000. But to really allege an Intala violation is a big deal, it's not the right move. I, again, we've had a couple of cases that were so egregious we've actually gone down this pathway, but it takes months to investigate. The amount of resources it takes and time and manpower is huge. And really to show that at that point in time that you had capacity, the big deal too is now in the O3 regs is the topic of capacity, which states that it is the receiving doctor's perception of whether he or she has capacity, meaning in a world where they can care for the patient in an ICU bed after they're done. If none of those pieces are open, they can say, I don't have capacity to care for the patient, and they can get away with it that way. So for a given hospital, and I'm thinking of the smaller community hospitals or middle size, the guy in the ER sees the patient, stabilizes him, so he's living up to the letter of Mtala. The subspecialist doesn't return his calls, doesn't come in, or doesn't come in timely, and then that's when the hospital is actually hit with the Mtala violation, correct? Yes, it can be. At that point, though, the unfortunate sad thing is that for the local ED doc, we've got this term that we call dialing for docs. What you do is you sit there and just call the local hospitals. And I've had people transferred from as far away as 600 to 700 miles away. Because I'm tall as clear, there are no state or local boundaries. If you're within the U.S., you can actually have a patient referred to you. I've had patients, again, from other states. Again, I'm in California. I can think of multiple states that the patients have been sent to me from. The laws are clear. If they call, you must take them. But that also shows there are lots of hospitals in between saying, oops, sorry, we have no capacity, sorry. Are they obligated to call the hospitals in between? They just hit the biggest county hospital. I'm thinking of a small hospital transferring to a county, bypassing the middle-sized hospitals who don't want to take on the financial burden and legal risk. 
if I was working in a local small hospital and I was trying to transfer, and I work at a level one trauma center, a tertiary care center, where we receive these patients, I don't fault these guys that are in the local hospital, small ones. They call the hospital next door and they refuse 10 times out of 10. They get that next case in there. They're probably just going to say, why call them? It's going to call the big hospital. Well, what that does is it kind of shifts the burden away from the local hospitals up to the big county and or academic centers. So really what's happened is that the county and academic centers are being forced to share this burden. And I think it's unfair. Dr. Rudkin, it was great talking to you. Thank you very much. We give our thanks to Dr. Scott Rudkin, who's been our guest today. We've been discussing the emergency room on-call crisis, how it affects all of us who practice medicine. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD 160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thank you for listening.